What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another wonderful episode of Fraternity. I'm your little brother, Danny, and I'm here with my big brother, Sean. You know that evil heavy metal your parents hate you listening to? You know those lyrics about hell and doom? Demons ripping you new orifices the shit out of? What if I told you it's all real, Danny? Oh yeah, well, if you're a fan of horror and you're a fan of metal, I think those two things go hand in hand. You're going to love the movie we're going to be talking about this week. What movie is that? Deathgasm from New Zealand from the year 2015. Uh, hold on a second, bro. That's Deathgasm. <laughs> death to false metal <laughs> yep we're covering deathgasm this was a first time viewing for me and i'm guessing it's a first time viewing for you oh yeah we're both going in blind this week but it's not for nothing it's a special occasion on the show here it sure is because we have our first guest here at fraternity host of the horror countdown podcast Don and Nelly. Welcome to Fraternity, Don. Well, hey, glad to uh, be here. Thank you so much for uh, having me as board as your first guest. I'm uh, quite honored. <laughs> well, it's awesome to have you. And you know, Don, I believe, is the first person that ever mentioned us on Twitter. He does a lot for the independent podcasters and horror community on Twitter. He helps promote shows. He just does really good work and of all the friends we've made on twitter we appreciate the hell out of you don and i think everybody owes you a debt of gratitude for all you do uh, well thank you so much i really appreciate that uh it's it's just my way of giving back to uh, the the community at hand i mean we're all one big family so why not you know i mean even though it's you know the least i can do just you know getting you guys out names out there and letting everybody know that you know there's more shows out there that you want to check out you know feel free to it's just my way of giving back and saying thanks so yeah just you know happy to do so and uh you know glad to have met you guys and help to uh spread the word about uh, you guys as much as i can awesome you've also recommended quite a fun movie for us to watch tonight oh yeah so <laughs> i figured my feelings were if we're gonna have guests i want the guests to bring us a movie so therefore we have no story time today but i thought i'd ask you don how did you come across deathgasm okay so uh deathgasm was uh, actually a blind watch uh for me as well the first time i saw it um, it actually dates back to uh, the first podcast I was on called the Horror Mafia Podcast. And it was uh, the first show I used to do. Um, it's uh, dead now. But one of the episodes we did, uh, one of the hosts wanted to do like um, heavy metal horror films. And so we were, you know, we our, our format at the show at the time was, you know, an older film and a new film. You know, they, they kind of had like the same theme, you know, like slashers in the woods or, you know, exorcisms, haunted houses, you know, like that kind of stuff. So, you know, we, we went back in and we were looking through like, you know, old school heavy metal, like, you know, the satanic panic films of the 80s and, you know, rock and roll nightmare, hard rock zombies, uh and you know trick or treat stuff like that so we picked one of those and we were kind of deciding what we were going to pick for our modern day movie 
and someone blindly suggested this one. And I had never even heard of it. It was like a completely new film to me. It just like completely slipped under my radar. And the first 10 seconds of this movie, I was hooked. And I, I was kind of just like on board with it. And then as the movie started going along, like everything in this film just spoke to me. I mean, I'm a metalhead. Uh, fun fact, before I was actually a podcaster, I actually used to do freelance uh, music reviews for a bunch of various sites. And every single song in this movie, the music that's playing in the background, the you know the the incidental songs that were picked. Ironically enough, I actually reviewed every album that those songs came out on uh, over the course of uh, my writing. So every single song that I heard of, it was kind of just like an instant like flashback, and I was like, "Whoa, oh yeah, I remember that band," and it was just like something that just kind of like you know that. It just felt like helped with the immersion factor, and it was kind of like a cool little fun little trick. But then, you know, the the thing is that I I always really gravitate to this film is that it it kind of like represents not not like a dying breed, but just like a rare breed in like the modern genre scene where, you know, for lack of a better term, like the elevated horror scene is just kind of like taken over. And that's kind of like the in vogue thing that, you know, nowadays it's like, everybody's trying to like, you know, be smarter and more depth and, you know, trying to, you know, layer everything as much as they can with all these, you know, themes and subtexts and whatnot. And as much as I have a place for that, I'm always down to watch those kinds of movies. When I get in, got into horror films, I got into it with the just, you know, fun, over-the-top party horror films. And, you know, something that's, you know, not very, you know, deep or not, you know, you don't have like a lot of, you know, stuff to like really dive in and, you know, analyze and discuss. And, you know, like it's open to interpretation kind of. But it's just, okay, let's just throw this on as background for like a party, you know get a bunch of your friends on have this on and just, you know, like have a good time. Like that was always kind of like the genre films that I got into. And that was like the stuff that really helped me get into the genre. And this was kind of one of those kinds of films. It just reminded me of that when I was watching it. And I always go back to this one as kind of like one of like the last big, you know, party horror movie, you know, party horror movies that came out. And I always just like, I always just love exposing people to this, not just because it is like that, but also because it's better made than you'd think it is. And I think that was something that you guys found out is that there's more to this than just meets the eye. And yeah, it's something that I, I, I thought would be, you know, a fun time to share with others. And uh, I always have a fun time uh, exposing this to new people and, you know, discovering the joys of metal and horror as it's, as it were. Awesome. Well said. I can't agree more. I'm glad that you uh, got me to finally watch this because I kept noticing this when I was scrolling through Shudder and I had also saw that Joe Bob Briggs had covered it on the last drive-in. And I really wanted to watch it because I'm a metalhead too, you know, longtime horror fan, just like you. But it just kept getting put on the back burner for whatever reason. So I'm really glad you did bring this to us so I could finally check it out. And, you know, I hate comparing things to other things because I can't shake the feeling that it's a slight discredit. But if we're going to set the scene for anyone who, like me and Danny, hadn't got around to seeing this one. If you were to take 
Beavis and Butthead, Napoleon Dynamite, a slight dash of Harmony Corinne, and toss it in a blender with the Evil Dead, Edgar Wright's Cornetto trilogy, and Peter Jackson's Splatterflix. I think you'd end up with something like Deathgasm. And I mean that in the most loving way possible. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure that would be a pretty... Uh, that, that that's a pretty accurate uh, comparison, I think. Um, it, it definitely has a lot of elements of all of those things. I mean, you know, don't get me wrong. I'm never gonna say that this is like one of the most original films of all time, because it, it's ex- almost exactly like what you described. This Evil Dead meets Napoleon Dynamite with a dash of, you know, like three or four other films that, if you're really paying attention, you can spot pretty quickly. But you know, it's just fun. And every now and then, I think we need to, you know, just have like a fun well-made you know not like a schlocky kind of a thing but just you know like a well-made serious genre film that is just out for a good time and that's one of the things that i really like love about this one is that's what it aims for and i think it hits the mark pretty pretty competently and consistently i think you i think you said it best don where you said it was just party horror and you want to put it on for your friends because that's the vibe i got and it reminded me of Back in the day when there weren't, uh, when we weren't overcome by all these streaming services and Netflix was the only thing. And I remember me and you, Sean, we would just like go on Netflix and find random movies to watch. And, you know, you just get blown away by something that you'd never heard of or saw. And this has that vibe to me all over it. So I uh, really appreciate it for that. So yeah, just taking it back and appreciating something for its simplicity. For sure. We're rebelling against elevated horror tonight. Is that what I'm getting? (laughs) (laughs) Hey, well, I love elevated horror, okay? Give me a smart horror movie any day, but Don's right. You know, we gotta dial it back sometimes and keep it simple, because if it weren't for simple films, we wouldn't have this genre to begin with. Yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm always down for a discussion of, you know, something like Us or Them or, you know, St. Maud. you know, whatever elevated horror film that you want to bring out. I'm always down to watch something like that. But if that was all that you got, I become really bored of the genre really quickly. And, you know, something like this speaks to variety and, you know, whether or not there's more of this stuff out there that just hasn't been exposed because there's so much of the other stuff out there. I, I would, I can't speak to that, but the fact that this is out there and, uh, you know, it's worth a watch for those that are into this sort of thing. It, it definitely, you know, needs to be seen. So, yeah. And who doesn't love some splatter, which I felt like I hadn't seen a good splatter <laughs> flick in a while either. So with all that said, why don't we throw those devil horns up and get right into death chasm. Exactly, because lowercase is for pussies. <laughs> <laughs> hey, but before that, just wanted to say you can follow us on Twitter. Our handle is at Fraternity. You can go over there, follow us, check our tweets, DM us, all that good stuff. We'd love to interact with you. And we have an email, Fraternity at gmail.com. That's Fraternity at gmail.com. Send us an email, questions, comments, anything at all. We'd love to hear from you. Do you have anything you want to plug, Don? Uh, yeah, um, so uh, the Horror Countdown podcast, uh, you can find that on just about every major uh, podcast catcher that you can find. 
Um, basically, the show, uh, for those that are unaware, is uh, Top Ten Countdowns. So uh, no real in-depth film reviews, uh, you know, no uh, you know traditional formats. It's just me and a guest, we pick a topic and we do a top ten list on it. So, uh, I mean, I guess this is probably the uh, perfect time to announce that, uh, Sean, you and I were... Uh, one of those that uh, we recently got together and did our top 10 favorite romantic horror movies. So uh, be on the where for that. It should be dropping uh, within the next couple of days as uh, you hear this. Uh, we uh, we had a fun time and we recorded that, that one a little bit more in advance than uh, we're recording this one. So um, I've already got that one ready to go. But uh, yeah, you can find the the show, uh, like I said, on pretty much all major podcast apps. Uh, I've never really had anybody come to me and say that they can't find it on their preferred platform of choice. So I think I got it out there uh, for enough places. Uh, Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, uh, you know, uh, Pocket Casts. Uh, I, I, there's a few others, but um yeah, it should be out there and uh, pretty easy for you to find. Um, I have a Facebook page and a Facebook group for the show. If you're involved in there, you want to check the show out. Uh, you know, I post, you know, in, on there uh, pretty infrequently, but, uh, you know, enough to the, that there's a, an audience out there if you want to engage and uh, talk with me about that. Um, there's also a, a Twitter feed for the show, uh, which is Horror Countdown. And uh, I, I do post the show as well on uh, my personal Instagram page, uh, which is uh, just my name, Donna Nelly. So, uh, yeah, I think that's pretty much everything, uh, especially with uh, what, especially in regards to the show. So, awesome! And yeah, in case you didn't get the memo over on our Twitter, this is a double dose of horror countdown and fraternity this weekend. We had a great time recording our top ten romantic horror movie is episode and i'm really looking forward to hearing it yeah i'm really looking forward to that one too because that was a lot of fun and uh yeah it was uh i i know i kind of went off the beaten path with a few of my choices but uh, it was a fun enough time and uh, i'm really glad to get that one out there and uh show everybody what uh, we think about uh another underrated topic that uh doesn't really get discussed much so yeah party horror and romantic horror films can't go wrong <laughs> <laughs> enjoy your weekend everyone so, our story starts off like a metalhead version of Fresh Prince as we meet our main metalhead Brody as he gets shipped off to live with his Bible thumper uncle in the middle of ass fuck nowhere, as he puts it. He gets shipped off because his mother got institutionalized for trying to blow a mall Santa while hopped up on meth. And that is quite a way True to story. start this charming <laughs> flick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, ten minutes. Yeah, ten seconds, in and we get that kind of a backstory. Yeah, that's this, this kind of a movie. <laughs> and yeah, the the reaction that we get when we first see him is just is just hysterical. Uh, you know, the Bible thumping. Everybody's you know prim and proper. Every you know they're standing in their perfect church clothes, ready to greet their long lost cousin. And out comes the scraggly you know denim ripped jean, black t shirt, bands. You know t-shirt wearing you know metal head with a guitar and amp and you know just looks like he just stepped out of a you know orgy or something and he's supposed to live with these folks it's just yeah it's a great contrast and it just gets the film off to a great start at the local high school brody meets his first new friend dion after witnessing his cousin david shoving some dice up the poor kid's nostril 
It's a D10, Sean. <laughs> that, well, let's not forget, that's not the, the most disturbing orifice those die have been placed that week. Dice is plural. <laughs> Brody then catches a glimpse of the blonde bombshell of the school, Medina, before he's off to meet up with Dion and his friend Giles for a bit of D&D action during lunch. And of course this ends in a piss bath, thanks to David and his wingman, Terry, using super soakers in a very heinous way. The best part of this scene, though, is without a doubt Brody's power metal daydreaming, with him rocking atop a mountain and blasting Matina's top off with some super metal eye powers. Love that bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, it, it should be noted that that's actually not Medina, that's actually just a random woman. Really? That wasn't Medina? No, because it's the same girl that we see in Medina's fantasy later. Oh, okay. I totally oh, thought okay. that was her. No, yeah, I, I know the feeling. But yeah, in uh, Medina's fantasy, that's one of the girls. It's, she has the same girl. Well, Medina has two, but yeah, it's one, of the, it's one of the same girls. Yeah, Medina has two, but she's classier. They get to keep their pasties on. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, well, we'll come to that when we get there. <laughs> for sure. Things don't start looking up for Brody until he meets fellow metalhead Zach in a record store. And the next thing you know, they're becoming blood brothers and burning hail satin into the local grass. <laughs> but then they do what any respectable teenage metalhead would do. They start a band. And like any band that is destined to go places, they do the most important thing first. Never mind practicing a single note. The most important thing when forming a band is figuring out what you're going to call yourselves. And as much as I like Maggot Sperm and Cannibal Unicorn, I definitely think Death Chasm was the right choice. Are we all in agreement? Mm, I mean, Cannibal Unicorn does have a ring to it. I mean, yeah, that's kind of, um, I, that would be my second choice. But yeah, no, uh, especially the uh, Death Chasm. The way that they uh, say it with uh, all capitals, I think that's probably the preferred, the preferred name, but... <laughs> It's certainly better than 14 S's. <laughs> we do get a decent heavy metal up your butthole jam session here before we see that Brody is a bit rusty on his axe, but they, they have promise. I'll say they have promise as a band. And at this point, one might wonder what the hell is horror about this film. But the horror is going to start slowly trickling in starting now when Brody and Zack break into a house where the lead singer of the fabled band Haxon's Sword has been hiding. But why? We really don't know. All we know is Zack and Brody attempt to lift a record off of him before an intruder looking like a murder bot straight out of Halloween 3 comes snooping around too. The singer Ricky Daggers ends up giving the boys the record and telling them to take off with it. And just then, the Halloween 3 android lookalike finds Ricky and delivers a pretty gnarly and gruesome throat slashing. Our first true bit of horror and gore in the movie. Well, I would have thought the first bit of horror in the film was the fact that this whole thing was a giant Rickroll joke. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty good. Yeah, they should have started playing it. <laughs> <laughs> it's a Rick Astley record. And this is one gnarly throat slitting, if I do say so. Yeah, you gotta love a throat slashing with depth, you know? I love the throat slits where it's like, 
the neck is barely hanging on by a thread and the the head just like goes backward oh it's, it's gruesome yeah it's not just meat but the inner working is like the of the throat showing <laughs> but yeah like you said don the boys got rick rolled however some ancient music sheets fall out and around the same time we learned that this halloween 3 android looking guy is working for some occult sleazebag named aeon and they're searching for the black hymn because of course they are and having failed, Aeon calls out two men to dispatch of our well-dressed friend via beheading. But they forget to put a tarp down and end up drenching this carpet in blood. And Aeon demands this goofy ceremonial do-over. And the scene topper is the reveal that he's getting blowies from a chick under the desk. That bit definitely <laughs> felt a bit amateur at first, but there is a happy ending to that story. <laughs> Well, it fits with who he is, but still. <laughs> but, oh yeah, no, I was dying when I saw this. I'm a fan of the do the beheading over. <laughs> it's just so goofy and goes places. It's like, all right, I'm in. You know, you immediately understand the tone of the film. Yeah, I, I was dying when I first saw this. I mean, I had to like literally pause the film and rewatch it back again because I missed a, the next scene. So yeah, uh, I had rewatched the re-beheading. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah it, it's just hysterical because you just you realize that it's these two guy you know they're two in you know they're two guys in this you know huge ceremonial occult robes you know they've got like this mask on and they're supposed to be looking like all prim and proper and dark and then there's this business guy who's just shouting at them you know like oh why did you do it on the carpet put the tarp down for god's sake <laughs> and it's like this exasperated tone that it's like oh geez you morons and then they do it again and then they do like that little pose where they kind of just do like ta-da <laughs> like right. is that what you wanted kind of a thing <laughs> and the thing is just hysterical and then of course yeah you pop, you see the girl pop her head up and it's like what's taking so long and he just shoves her back down and you hear her gag <laughs> <laughs> No, I was just going to say, yeah, the, the, the whole scene is just classic. It's like the perfect scene, and it just like gets you into the, the film just incredibly well. Yeah, he also mentions to these other henchmen that they're going to head to the town themselves, but apparently this town is more long distance than one might think because we're not going to see them again for quite some time. But with that put aside, what do we all think of Deathgasm's black metal music video in the woods? Okay, so this was actually one of the first uh, the first parts of the film that actually it, it, it caught me because for those that aren't in the know, this is actually a shot-for-shot ripoff of an actual black metal music video from a band by, uh, I think their, their name is Immortal. And the song is called The Mighty Winds of Blasrek. And it's a shot-for-shot ripoff of that music video. Like, every single shot of them <laughs> running around in the woods, peering behind trees, throwing leaves in the air, like, you know, standing against rocks, playing their instruments. It's a beat-for-beat ripoff of that music video. And if you don't know, it, it works fine because it's just, like, you know, goofy imagery. But the fact that you actually know what it is, I think it's just absolutely, it's hysterical. I was totally unaware of that. So, yeah, that's pretty funny i'll have to check out the original now danny what did you think of this sequence well i just love that they're like i think zach brings it up he's like 
you know, we, we don't have our instruments plugged into anything. We look stupid. Like, <laughs> why are we doing this? Totally, totally calling attention to all the little stuff in music videos that uh, goes unnoticed. So there's a lot of good humor here. And then uh, Giles, like, hauling his drum set up there. And then they're like, all right, I think we got enough coverage. <laughs> Yeah, I mentioned Harmony Corinne in the influences I cited earlier, and I think it's this scene that really makes me think of all those bits of metal in Gummo. And it's also the day in the life stuff early on in this movie like this that really works for me. Like, I think that's what makes the horror and when the movie really gets fun all the better is because we really do start to like and care for these characters. It's really well done, and Brody and Zach look great in their corpse paint. And I love how Dion and Giles have just hilariously missed the mark and gone kiss. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then, of course, you, you can't forget the fact that uh, at the very end of it, Giles starts jerking off the hilt of the sword. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Time to leave. We're done, we're done here. <laughs> After the music video session, the boys head to a shop where Brody runs into Medina. And we follow that up with one of my favorite images of the entire movie. Brody and Medina sitting together on a park bench eating ice cream while Brody is still in his corpse paint. Now, I just wanted to talk about something personal for a moment here. Because there are a lot of ways that I connect with the character of Brody in this film. I think these metalhead high school kids are perfectly relatable to a lot of people out there. Especially some listening, I'm sure. And when I was that age, I met a beautiful girl around the time who was a lot like Medina. This beautiful, preppy, blonde girl who was way out of some metalhead's league. Especially because, like Dion said, girls really didn't go for the metalhead types. But things wound up working out in some fantastic ways. We wound up connecting and had a bit of a teenage romance. It was short-lived, but... We built a strong connection and were friends long after. And she wound up moving away and we lost connection, but every few, every few years or so, we would touch base. And it's funny because a lot like Medina's arc, this girl became quite a beautiful metalhead chick. She had some amazing horror-related tattoos, a nice Frankenstein's monster, and she also had the cover art from the brain that wouldn't die on her arm. That was my personal favorite. I shared some wonderful time with her, just hanging out. I'll always remember one time when she invited me over for a movie, and she showed me John Waters' Cecil B. Demented. And it was pretty rare that someone introduced me to some batshit film that I hadn't seen. I was even in a grindcore band when I was 18 that I'd rather not discuss too much, because we sucked. <laughs> But she <laughs> y'all rocked, okay? I want those tapes to be recovered one day. That would be nice, but <laughs> ooh, outro music. Outro music. <laughs> oh, hell yeah. yeah. They rock, okay? Don't listen to Sean, okay? I'm I'm their biggest no. fan. I'm dying to hear them again. I appreciate that, Danny. And I appreciated the fact that <laughs> this girl was at one of our few performances and that really meant the world to me when I looked down off the stage and I saw her there. And this scene here where Brody and Medina bond over tattoos and Brody attempts to explain the allure of metal to her, it just sent a lot of those memories rushing back. And to make a long story short, 
I hadn't talked to this girl since 2017 or 2018. But Deathgasm and this scene specifically made me decide to look her up and see how she may be doing. And to my shock and surprise, I learned that she had unfortunately passed away two years ago. And it was just a shocking realization of the passage of time. And it made me reflect on those memories and everything else you can imagine. You know, you don't, when you hit that age where you start losing people and you had strong teenage bonds with them and then you make the mistake of not keeping connected and you don't even know they're gone. So I know she isn't here, but I just want to dedicate this episode to the memory of Sadie and just leave it at that because she was my Medina at one point when I was still Brody. (laughs) But with all that said, at this point in the movie, Brody's getting along quite well in this little town, I'd say. He's got good friends, a band, and now a budding romance. Unfortunately for him, we see that his cousin is watching this ice cream session from afar. So we know the good times surely aren't going to last. And this is a horror movie after all, so that's kind of to be expected, right? (laughs) And speaking of horror, next up we get to see the band perform the Black Hymn for the first time. And Brody's uncle bangs on the garage door and warns them to stop playing that damn devil music before we see strange cloud swirls, bugs on the amps, blood dripping kick drums. All classic signs of devilishness afoot. We see the band is entering a trance-like state as Brody's uncle begins to transform, leaving him weeping blood. And I just have to say, Danny, we just can't seem to get away from bleeding eyeballs. (laughs) Yeah, it's a pretty unavoidable trope in horror films, but, you know, they're never going to top that horrific eye-bleeding, um... Why am I forgetting the name? City of the Living City Dead. City of the Living Dead. <laughs> City of the Living Dead. <laughs> yeah, good stuff though. But yet again, Brody mucks it up on the guitar and the black hymn remains incomplete for the time being. But we have witnessed the power the song wields. And that brings us Don to Medina deciding to check out the CD Brody gave her where she gets whisked away to the mountaintop to live her wild, erotic, girl-on-girl power metal fantasies. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, because now she has the Valkyrie warrior outfit on, and, you know, she looks like the, you know, this battle-ready warrior, you know, kind of like a maiden kind of, you know, outfit. And she's got this, you know, she's got two girls attached to her, but, you know, unfortunately for us, they keep the pasties on, but... Yeah, the fact that it's, you know, like her discovering like the what Brody knows, it's kind of like, you know, lets us in on what's going on and it kind of like, you know, f- completes the circle and fulfills everything, you know, like that kind of a arc that, you know, we set into motion earlier on, but yeah. It's a pretty it's a pretty fun time. Yeah, I love all the power metal fantasy scenes here with them doing that just the mountaintop. It's so perfect. It reminds me of like something you'd see on Early 2000s Adult Swim cartoons, you know, just that power metal trip. And I love her when she's like, whoa, 
<laughs> like she gets hit by it like wow that was intense <laughs> not long after that though we witness brody taking a pretty savage beating from his dickhead cousin and for as quickly as things had become pretty sweet for brody they're gonna get sour awful fast from here on out because it's actually zach that pulls the true dickhead move because later on we see Medina gives Zack a note for Brody to meet her in the park that night. But Zack decides to show up instead. And he tells Medina that Brody isn't interested. And proceeds to cozy up to her until they find themselves making out on the park bench. That's not how Brothers of Steel treat each other. Am I right? No, that, uh, that definitely... Dick move, Zack. Yeah, that definitely deserves a uh, punch to the balls. Uh, and that's kind of the... That's the start of the treatment. That It should have been worse than that. Yeah, total dirtbag move. But you know, it's spliced so brilliantly with sad and clueless Brody in his bedroom sporting that black eye and busted lip. It really delivers the feels here in regards to Brody. Yeah, I really love that shot of Brody just in his room depressed and then he starts to get the idea to play the black him again and then you just see that smirk on his face like, Fuck the world, you know? <laughs> it's great stuff. Yeah, because at well, the time, you don't know that he's aware of the Medina thing because he's just reacting to the beatdown. So you figure that he's doing it in retaliation for that, which is, you know, another part that's rightfully deserved. But the fact that, you know, you're doing that in juxtaposition with, you know, the betrayal that's going on at the same time. Yeah, it it has like a nice little like dual prong message and it has like a little bit more relevance. And, you know, again, it has just even more sympathy towards him, even after everything that's gone on. Yeah, it was a surprisingly quiet and a meaningful scene in this film with gallons of gore coming up. <laughs> it sure is, because the next day, it's time to play the Black Hymn again. And this time, there are no fuck-ups. The song is completed, and it sends the band into this mouth-foaming unconsciousness as we see the rest of the neighborhood go into a blood-vomiting frenzy. I love these shots, especially the one of the little baby spewing blood up from its carriage. <laughs> yeah, very, very few have mentioned that one. Yeah, I'm glad you caught that. Because <laughs> yeah, there's. I think I might have. Yeah, missed that one. Yeah, there's. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, there's a uh, there's like three or four different like cutaways, and one of them is like the it's um I think it's in front of like a cafe or something. It's like a public street, and they have like three or four adults um uh, like you know puking in the background, but then off to the side there's the baby carriage and you just see the splatter just pop up out of the center of it it's not like the, it's it, like the focus of it because you have like the three or four other adults um on the sides puking as well but then it's just like you know hysterical because you get the baby off to the side and it's like a small little split second thing and yeah very few have actually commented on that so yeah it's kind of cool you caught that oh i loved it i appreciated it unfortunately spoiler alert we don't get a demon baby but i really did it's just so ridiculous. I loved it. <laughs> but our band ends up waking up. They know something had to have happened. But what and to what extent remains a mystery, but not for long. Because in the washroom at school, the next day, Brody's confronted by a demon-possessed Terry, who offers up some threats of forthcoming demonic torture. They also do the old standing still but sliding in the frame gag not once but twice here. 
how did this one land for y'all? You like this one? I love I love Terry's makeup job here. I love the makeup on all the zombies. I think it's disgusting, and I love that he's wearing the sunglasses to hide his eyes. And I just love the the overdub voice that they're using for the zombies. It's really good shit. But it is goofy. I can see one why would uh, why you wouldn't be into it. <laughs> Yeah, because the, well, they do they do the the double take because the first line is that you know he's gonna rip out your intestines and let you you know use them as like a you know he's gonna like he makes like some comment about his intestines and it's like you got that right and then you, Brody goes yeah I got it and then he like starts to slide away and then he comes back in the frame and it's like I did mention the part about using your nutsack as uh you know roasting your chestnuts over an open fire right and he goes yeah you said that and he says good. And then he walks away again. He just floats away again. <laughs> While still attached to your body. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I will say that one didn't land for me only because I got a little confused. Like, I didn't recognize him as Terry at first. Yeah, because I think they changed the shirts on him because it's not like the same polo shirt that he keeps wearing because he uses a different one. And, you know, the gag with the, you know, the sunglasses, which we'll reveal in a few minutes. But yeah, it, it took me a, a, a split second to realize that that was supposed to have been Terry, the, the best friend or not the, yeah. the best friend, but, uh, you know, the, the brother's best friend. So, yeah. It, yeah, David's friend. Yeah, it's not the most obvious, but uh, it takes you a second. But it, I still caught it was him. I can still see why it's confusing, though. The math teacher farting before shitting blood does land for me, though. <laughs> I will say that. <laughs> and then the way he just moves toward the poor girl in the front of class and proceeds to projectile vomit blood on her until she's just thoroughly covered. So good. And later on, Brody recounts this to Zach in his dad's mechanic shop. And he also mentions how Medina wouldn't talk to him. However, it isn't long before the two realize that Zach's dad has been possessed by demons. And we get our first official demon fight 40 minutes into the movie. This is pretty good, though, with Zach's dad ripping out his own eyeballs and holding them in his hands. We get some great face sanding from a saw before he gets his head crushed and obliterated by an engine. Fantastic way to start the action-packed, full-blown demon invasion that takes up the second half of this movie. Wouldn't y'all agree? Yeah. Uh, totally, yeah. yeah. I'm a fan of the uh, grinder to the face. That's some good shit. Unique there. I, I wish we would have actually had more um, an opportunity to have been there before so we knew what was going on. Because it just weirdly cuts to the two of them in the front seat of the truck talking about what's going on. And then you just hear like this banging in the background and you kind of like you don't realize it at first. But yeah, when it, the action itself, when it gets going, yeah, it's pretty well choreographed. There's like a nice little bit of brutality because everybody's, you know, being thrown all over the place. And you've got all the instruments and, you know, like the the car repair tools that are set up over there. So yeah, they're kind of integrated pretty well and it's a pretty fun little fight. And it like, you know, it gets the ball rolling because from here it's just nonstop. It's like just, you know, constantly like, you know, how are we going to one up each other from, you know, like having to them face like the rest of the town that's gone crazy. It's like, you know, the perfect little like spice to get the ball rolling. Yeah. And they literally turn Zach's dad into a machine head. A plus for yeah. creative kill with the engine crushing his head. Yeah, fantastic. Great album. I loved it. 
<laughs> Brody puts things together pretty fast, though, and realizes it must have been the Black Hymn. He tells Zack about the true power of the song, and the two of them decide to head to the record store to talk to the psychic wife of the owner and see if she can help. Meanwhile, shit is hitting the fan all around town. And I just have to ask you two, where are we ranking die-loaded paintball guns and Hulk hands in terms of demon invasion weaponry? <laughs> well, what do you mean ranking? Like, uh, <laughs> usefulness or <laughs> absurdness? Yeah, because um, I mean, I, I would be like him. I would have two ratings. Uh, invention pretty high on the scale i mean that's like a pretty high like a seven or an eight kind of a, a thing but i mean in terms of usefulness if, unless you're going to put something that has like an impact behind it yeah that's going to be like at least a one on like the effectiveness scale because i mean it's exactly <laughs> like what you think it is they're just leaving multicolored splotches on their body it's not stopping them it's like this thing sucks i like the ingenuity or <laughs> it's like here let me shoot the die out of the paintball gun and it still isn't enough like fuck <laughs> well the thing is is that the joke would have been even better if he would have shot it into the eye socket that would have <laughs> yeah I, I think if that would have if it would have actually landed there instead of just like being embedded on his forehead i think it probably would have made maybe it maybe up the nose to do a callback <laughs> oh yeah that would have been that would have been cool too yeah like either or or like even if he shoots it in his mouth and chokes on it, <laughs> swallows yeah, that it. Would work. <laughs> yeah, luckily for Dion and Giles, Medina shows up brandishing an axe and displays some ass-kicking demon dispatching skills. She splits this demon's head straight down the middle. You listen to metal once, and uh, all of a sudden you're a kick-ass killer. <laughs> yeah, I love how she splices this demon's head straight down the middle, giving us this awesome hero shot of blood-splattered heavy metal Barbie to be. Great stuff. Brody and Zack don't get far with the psychic lady as they discover her bleeding out. Luckily, she has enough time to tell them about the demon king Aloth who will arise at 3am to possess the blackest human heart in the area. And well, then she gets killed. <laughs> and speaking of getting finished off... Aeon and his merry band of cultists finally arrive, and Demon Terry informs them that they must destroy the pages that contain the Black Hymn, so Deathgasm can't attempt to reverse it. Aeon agrees so long as he can be the one the demon Aeloth merges with, and Demon Terry informs him that Aeloth will merge with the blackest nearby human soul, and suddenly the headgiver puts a dagger in Aeon's back before ramming it down his throat pledging her allegiance to the Demon King. And I, for one, did not see that coming. Yeah, that's a fantastic twist. That got me. That was uh, that was a pretty cool way that they do it. Just because it's like, as soon as he gives the advice saying, okay, well, it's going to be the blackest human soul, it just immediately cuts to him and you see a dagger through his... You, you, you just hear, like, the splatter and you just get the dagger through him. And she gets like, you know, I'll, let it be me, I'll, I pledge my soul or whatever. And it's like... Okay, wow, you're going to do a head joke and you're going to make them the, the main villain. Nice, I like the role reversal. Yeah, I appreciated the fact that the girl giving him head wasn't just a throwaway joke and it actually came around and flipped things upside down, yeah. I also thought this would be a good time to further expand on what we think of how the demons look in this movie. 
they're pretty cool. Um, in general, they have like the zombified look where they, you know, they look like they have like the rotting flesh. But uh, <clears throat> the thing that I like the most is that they have the. Well, the thing is, is that we, I, I don't know if we've really gone in depth about it, but the demon that they summon, um, Aloth, he's known as the Blind One. And one of the quirks about him is that he causes people to gouge their eyes out, which has been why uh, Terry, the teacher, and uh, several of the other people that we've seen wear sunglasses because their eyes are ripped out. And when we see them on the regular people, you know, you know, the film also takes place at night, so it's not like they're going to have like much reason to be wearing sunglasses anyway. But the fact that all of them, they have like the claw marks where it looks like their fingers are dug in. They have like the trench burrowed out and it kind of looks like they're it's like the, the path where the fingers went into like pluck the eyeballs out i think it just adds a little to it because it it just would otherwise look like a regular zombie and it makes everybody look like a little distinctive and like a it kind of adds like a little you know i don't know if like originality would be much of a word to use but just distinctive i think like between distinctive and originality i don't know if they're my, my english is failing me at the moment but somewhere between the two i think is pretty is pretty much where that that lands so yeah, they look pretty cool. You know, they have like you know unearthly look to them. But I, I think with the idea that their eyes are ripped out and you see like the hallmarks and wounds of everything that goes on, I think it just makes a little bit more of a distinct distinction between everything. How about you, Danny? Well, as I said, I'm already a big fan of the way that demons look in this film because yeah, they do have a little bit of zombie-esque rotten flesh going on for him and i loved the gouged out eyes and it just seems like they're spitting up blood every other second too <laughs> just <laughs> it's like blood pooling out of their mouth and drooling uh yeah they just look gross and disgusting and nasty and they look like they stink too so <laughs> yeah needless to say i'm a fan needless to say i'm in full agreement I love the black holes where their eyes used to be. I love their chud-like teeth and their gnashing mouths. Good stuff. Definitely, the word I would use, I think they're unique as far as demons on films go. So Medina, Giles, and Dion went to the school, and they left a note at Brody's front door. But of course, the note thief Zach takes that shit. And Brody and Zack wind up entering Brody's house to get the black him. But they get confronted by Brody's aunt and uncle in demon form. Needless to say, this scene is pretty wild. And we already discussed where we would rank paintball guns and Hulk hands as weapons in a demon invasion. But where are we ranking dildos and anal beads, guys? <laughs> Flat out 10. <laughs> Ten. Come on. <laughs> I mean, knowing them, you know that thing's got to be at least ten inches. So, I mean, I think it's got it. I think it earns a point for every one of those. <laughs> <laughs> we do get some hilarious slow motion action shots of Brody smacking his demon uncle across the face with those ten inches. No, but first of all, we got to do the the most hysterical the most hysterical bit in the whole thing is that the the father is that the the uncle has him has Brody pressed against the wall, ready to bite him. Zach wanders out of the kitchen holding a beer, takes a swig, realizes what's going on, says, "Oh shit!" takes another swig and rushes in to save him. 
no wasting a beer. He didn't know he turned. <laughs> yeah, the the actual battle with the the dildo just swinging that thing around in slow motion. <laughs> just the impact that. <laughs> The impact it leaves, like the face just like recoiling and reverberation from it. It's just perfect. <laughs> yeah, and I love how Zach is attempting to use the anal beads as if they were some ancient martial arts weaponry. Like he's even holding them like some Japanese mysterious battle weapon. Well, I think my favorite bit is when they first find the dildo and the anal beads. And they're and like they're looking at him like, what the hell are these? And then Zach puts it in Brody's face, and it goes in Brody's mouth. He's like, oh, <laughs> and it's so slow and <laughs> deliberate. That shit's great. Yeah, because they have it in the box mark church stuff. <laughs> oh yeah, that's good too. You know, all these Christians, these Catholics, are hiding some deep dark secrets. Hey, they're adults. horny fuckers. <laughs> You know what I love about that bit too, Danny, is we're in the middle of a demon invasion, but of course, when you find the 10-inch dildo, you're going to stick it in your friend's face. (laughs) (laughs) Can't pass up a classic joke. Definitely not. Brody and Zach pretty quickly realize these weapons really aren't working out, and Brody heads to the garage to grab a classic demon-killing weapon, the chainsaw. And after numerous attempts to start the damn thing, of course it's Brody who trips and busts his ass as Zack is dragged into the bedroom. And Brody comes precariously close to becoming the first victim of the chainsaw. And surprisingly, Zack manages to make a dildo work for him as he pounds away at Brody's uncle, separating his lower jaw from the rest of his face. I thought those weapons sucked, but it came through in the end. Our Brothers of Steel United then manage to turn the tables on the ant, and we get a fantastic blood-splattering impalement with a really nice bit of intestinal spillage afterwards. It's hard to keep a good demon down, though, and it comes down to a double vibrator head smash right in the ears. And then, after the victorious battle with the demons, Brody's cousin enters the house in shock, clearly not possessed, But Brody immediately cuts his head off with the chainsaw. And this is pretty dark stuff here. I get the humor of the scene, but it's another one that falls kind of flat for me. So I wanted to hear your opinions on this one. Oh, it's dark. It's fucked up. But you also understand why Brody would just be like, fuck this guy, even if he is my cousin. Yeah, well, this one caught me off guard and it was so quick and fast and snappy. You know, it happens in 10 seconds, and it's like, holy shit, that's how uh, that ends, I guess. <laughs> yeah, the the idea of it, it, it works in context of the scene, because, you know, he's still in battle mode, like, he's just, you know, he's still got the adrenaline going, he's, you know, just gotten through the fight with the parents, but then all of a sudden, like, he, he walks in, and it's like, wait, what? And then, you know, he's just, you know, he's still got the thing blurring and, you know, the thing blurring and it's just, you know, like he chops it off just like it out of instinct. So, yeah, I can see why it works in that context. But, yeah, the the idea that he's still human at the end and he's just kind of like, oh, OK. Well, you know, what makes it for me is Zach being like, I'm pretty sure he was still human. And Brody's like, no, nah, he's a, a zombie. You didn't hear him. 
I will add this because I think this is one of the reasons I was slightly disappointed is I thought Brody's cousin being the blackest human soul in the area would have made for a great twist. And I honestly half expected that to be the case. So. All right. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. I can see that being cool. But uh, as soon as they brought up the blackest soul, I was like, oh, it's Zach. No way it won't be Zach. And sure enough, I was right. But. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I I think it would have been a great twist to, you know, now that you mention it, that actually would have been kind of cool where that would be the way the way that he they take him out was he's got to, you know, face his bully and, you know, beat him down in revenge for what's gone on. I mean, yeah, that would have been a, a fun little way to uh, deal with it. But yeah, the, the I can see why that they I, I can see why that they did it the way they did, because it's just, you know, he's still in battle mode and, he, you know, the next noise he hears, he's going to just lash out at it. But yeah, the the fact that it would have been him to fight to fight back that would have been a, a a pretty cool way to wrap that storyline up. I don't think there were any if ands or buts about it. I think Brody did it deliberately, personally. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> well, because he writes it off because yeah, he writes it off by saying you know no, he was compl- yeah he was possessed and he just like writes it off as like no big deal. I mean yeah, he knew exactly what he was doing. <laughs> Good stuff. I don't think it detracts from the movie at all, but I do think his cousin not being the blackest soul is a bit of a missed opportunity. It, yeah, it's not the greatest joke, especially because one of the best is actually right after it, where we get the pan down to the bodies and we see that they're manipulated into the 69 position. <laughs> I don't know. That was kind of a miss for me. I don't know. Oh, really? That was the, that was one of the funnier ones for me. I was kind of like, uh, that's kind of, I feel like we had gotten, I feel like we had milked all the dildo and sex jokes out of the scene already. I was like, eh, I didn't need it. <laughs> oh, cause yeah, I, I thought that was just a circle because you kind of like forget about them because they're dealing with the, you know, they're dealing with the aftermath of everything, you know, like, do we have the pages and all that? And then all of a sudden we just get to look, the glance down with them and they're, the motorized dildo is like manipulating her head so it looks like she's still going and he just goes what they fell that way <laughs> yeah i i did like their jiggle and you know i'll say that i was a little not put off but i just felt like all the sex related stuff was a bit low you know like easy but then i started to think this movie is called Deathgasm. This is a lowbrow movie, right. and Sean. it's called Deathgasm: <laughs> Sex and Violence. And boy, does it live up to that name! Both of the victories are short-lived, though, as, like you said, Don, the pages containing the black hymn wind up blowing out of a window, and our brothers of steel will have to hunt them down. But first, they decide to really weapon up, and they head out with their chainsaw, saw blades, and a weed whacker of death. It's a good classic armor up bit here. And then we watch Brody and Zach go on their page hunting demon killing spree. Good times. The movie's moving pretty fast now. I'm not sure we needed the naked demon getting his dick whacked off though. <laughs> but who am I to say? Yeah, I felt like the I felt like the the page is getting lost. It was just an excuse to like let's throw in a couple more kills and yeah, let's throw in this weed whack dick kill that we don't really have a place for <laughs> which is fine you know and i have no problem with that but kind of out of out of nowhere yeah um i i think it actually would have been a little bit better if they would have switched 
if they if they would have written it the other way where they would have had the confrontation with town to get to the house and then you have like the battles with them already so they know what they're dealing with rather than dealing with all of these you know battles after they've got, gotten with the parents because it just feels kind of like a little bit of a it just feels like oddly structured that way because like the battle to get the pages would have been better just by itself just like you know traipsing through town trying to find it and then yeah the the whole thing with the dick joke is like you know you've really got a thing for lopping off penises don't you (laughs) yeah i guess they needed uh to even out the dick to boob ratio a little bit so there it was (laughs) i don't know i expected more from that that weed whack dick kill i was expecting like hot dog cut off piece by piece you know and didn't really get that (laughs) it was an efficient weed whacker danny (laughs) (laughs) so the last page of the black hymn takes zach and brody to the school and before long deathgasm has been reunited and of course it isn't much longer after that that the truth about zach medina and brody comes spilling out because what is a demon invasion without some good old-fashioned interpersonal drama? And a fight ensues between Brody and Zack that ends with Brody on the floor and Zack ditching everyone else. But as the old saying goes, the show must go on. So the plan is to head back to Ricky Dagger's place from earlier because they had spotted a bunch of amps in there. Then they'll attempt to play the black hymn backwards and rid the world of this mess. And now we are racing towards the conclusion of Deathgasm. And as things tend to go in this movie, Brody's plan immediately falls apart as they're confronted by the Dagger Swallower and her cultists in the house. And with Medina's life threatened, they have no choice but to hand over the Black Hymn, and it gets torn to shreds immediately. The group is then tied up in another room as live (laughs) offerings for the soon-to-be-arriving Aloth. And you have to love the bit where Dion questions if they might let them go if they soil themselves before promptly shitting his pants. Of all the jokes, that one has a pretty good delivery. Master level potty humor, <laughs> if you ask me. I was more of a fan of the blood fart, personally. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was going to say, that was a canned fart. I know you're no well, fan a of decent canned fart. fart, you know. As long as it's not like the number one search result if you search fart mp3, (laughs) I'm okay. (laughs) After that, all seems lost when a demon Ricky Dagger shows up in the room ready for some skull fuckery. But then Zack shows up in the nick of time and saves his friends. Though the others can't help but notice his fresh coat of time-consuming corpse paint. You gotta love that. And like I just mentioned, I know this movie is called Deathgasm. So the mixture of sex and violence is to be expected. But revenge on the cultists begins with a chainsaw to the gooch. And that is a most heinous party yeah. foul. <laughs> <laughs> Not the most fun way to go, I, I agree. Yeah, that should have been reserved for like a, a higher ranking uh, figure than just like tossed away. It's like <laughs> some throwaway joke for like that guy there. I, 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 I understand why they did it, but... You know, it looks cool in execution, but yeah, I would have preferred that kind of a death to be on like some other higher ranking individual. It it feels a little weird to, you know, pop it off as for somebody like that. Yeah, we get some pretty savage gore and violence here as Zach gets pulled out through a window by demons. And it's a little late in the game. 
But we see that the movie does have stakes after all, as Dion gets his head ripped off by a demon. Spinal column and all in one vicious pool. <laughs> yeah, some Mortal Kombat style over here. Not long after that, Giles winds up getting his arms ripped off, trying to fend off the demons approaching Brody and Medina. And then he's even beaten with them, giving new meaning to quit hitting yourself. And outside, Zack starts doing some crazy House of the Dead type leaping, spinning, dual wielding chainsaw shit as he beheads a whole horde of the demons. This bit is silly and ridiculous, but it's actually great, which I think this is a testament to how fun this movie is because if this movie weren't a good time, I could easily see this making me roll my eyes a bit. Yeah, I think it's great because it's. Yeah, it is really goofy and over the top and almost something out of like a video game or <laughs> something of that nature. But it's play- kind of played straight where it's uh, just entertaining. You know, he's doing this whirlwind in the air with chainsaws, <laughs> cutting down all these zombies. I- I'm a fan. Yeah, totally. Yeah, it- it's one of the the better zombie battle scenes that we get in the film because it's it's exactly just like that right amount of just goofy and silly and just over the top. But the the fact that they play it off as serious, just it, it makes it that much more fun because you see all the individual cuts going on where he's slicing the body parts. And then they do that classic scene at the end where he falls onto the ground, does the hero pose, and then just everybody falls to pieces at once. Perfect scene topper for sure. Meanwhile, Brody's trying his best to play the black hymn. And then Zack enters the house and just has a blast delivering a masterclass in demon dismemberment. But the next thing you know, it's 3am and time for Aloth's ascension. And the crazy head-giving cult lady rips all her clothes off in anticipation for Aloth, because of course she does. But wouldn't you know it, the blackest soul does end up being Zack after he kills her off. So, Danny, you you suspected that the whole time, huh? Yeah, that was my guess. I was like, there's no way it's not going to be Zach, especially when you drive that stake between him and Brody with the Medina love triangle. I was like, that's coming for sure. And they do try to fake you out, you know, when they when Zach comes and saves the day. But still, I was like, nah, the, the, no way it's not Zach. <laughs> What about you, Don? Was that your call? Yeah, I, I had kind of suspected that would be the twist as well. Uh, you know, you, you kind of suspect it just as soon as he pulls the betrayal card. I mean, that was kind of like the, the final clue that he was going to be the one to get it. Because, yeah, it would just be too easy to play the reversal where the the head chick, be, you know, turns on her boss and she becomes like the, the main guy. Like, that's not that, you know, black of a, a movement. That's kind of like, you know, a pretty... I mean, then, you know, I wouldn't speak for much because I haven't really committed these kinds of acts, but that seems kind of just like a lateral move at best. And then, you know, the fact, you know, you have all the stuff with, with uh, you know, Zach and Brody where, you know, Zach's trying to, you know, I mean, Brody's trying to, like, be genuine friends with him and Zach's just continually stabbing him in the back. And then, you know, like, he pulls the, you know, I'm going to sleep with your best, the girl that you like kind of a move. It, yeah, it just feels more natural that it would be him. I mean, the, the fact that it would have been a toss up between Zach and uh, Danny, the the cousin, I think that would have been a far more intriguing twist, but Zach's not as big of a twist as the film thinks it is. It's not like that big of a deal, but it's not as big a a shock, I would say. 
Well, Brody again attempts to play the black hymn as Medina attempts to hold off the approaching Aloth Zack, but poor Brody isn't even sure if he's in the right tuning. So we know how these things go. Our heroes take near-fatal blows, and all hope is gone until the true power of metal comes through. If there's one thing a good riff and solo can conquer, it's Satan. Look no further than Bobby versus the Devil. And Brody plays some metal that stirs up all the good memories in Zack's head and brings his human half out. He tells Brody he has to kill him before Aloth takes back over and destroys the world. And Brody reluctantly kills his brother of steel with a razor to the throat. I almost started to get some don't panic vibes here, Danny. I was a little worried. Oh no. <laughs> in conclusion, Two months later, we meet back up with Brody and Medina, now an adorable metal couple. Medina heads out when all of a sudden the record playing starts to go crazy. A demonic voice asks Brody if he thought it was over. But then Zack speaks from the record and tells Brody he's only kidding. And that's the end of our movie. So Danny, what are your final thoughts on Deathgasm? Well... If you're a fan of metal music and a fan of horror, this movie was made for you because it's got all that in spades. There's plenty to love, plenty to dig into with all the music choices if you're into metal. And there's so much gore and so many interesting kills and set pieces in this film. It's a really fun time. And as Don said earlier, it really is a party horror movie. Uh, There isn't any sort of higher idea. It's just good, campy, gory fun. And you got to appreciate a film like that. So I am a fan of Deathgasm. Awesome. I know you brought this movie to us, Don. But did you have anything else to add or any other thoughts you'd like to share before we do favorite kill and favorite scene? No, I'm pretty much in agreement. I think, yeah, uh, you guys, uh, we've talked about this for like the last hour. So it's pretty much just, you know, like a fun time. Just, you know, yeah, maybe you're not going to be like a fan of all the music in there. Maybe it's going to be a little too over the top in some places. But if you're just wanting to have like a fun film in the background that you and your friends can watch while you're just hanging out, having a good time together, this is like, you know, one of the first choices I would go to. It's just, it's just so much fun. And yeah, if you have, you know, connections to anything and if you like catch in jokes here and there, it just makes for a better time, even though you don't necessarily need them to enjoy the film as it is. Awesome. Well, that was Deathgasm, but you know how we do it here. And Don, you can do the honors first. What is your favorite kill in Deathgasm? Yeah, my favorite kill is uh, definitely the rebeheading. Uh, I mean, just the idea that they do it the the first time because it's a it's a pretty decent decapitation and just in isolation. But then you have the the whole sequence, the whole charade of the guys, you know, putting the tarp down, setting the body up, redoing it again and doing that. Just that little like ta-da kind of a presentation piece at the end. It's just amazing. And yeah, it's a practical (laughs) gore effect, too. But I mean, the decapitation in general is a fun idea that it the, the, the scene works without it. But I think the whole idea of just putting all of the, you know, theatricality behind it, it just makes it that much more fun. Awesome. Great choice. How about you, Danny? Well, 
this movie is filled with tons of gory and unique kills and it it was honestly hard for me to really pick one that was my favorite um going through the film right now with you guys i was hoping to realize my choice i think i gotta agree with don i really do like that beheading because it's so it sets the tone of the film too because it's like treated as such a joke it almost starts to become like a sketch show almost like in tone like redo the 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 beheading again put down a tarp don't you know how to behead somebody (laughs) it reaches absurdity that i for one am a big fan of and appreciate in a film so yeah i i'm in agreement with don here awesome i'll say this choice was pretty tough for me too because there are a lot of kills to like But at the end of the day, I went with the full body, piece by piece chainsaw dismemberment of Demon Terry. I just thought it was such a fitting end for such a douchey character. And I love the pure joy Zack experiences here. He's literally having a deathgasm. And I really like the final shot of the still standing legs as blood splatters up from the gory waste stump. But like I said, a lot to like throughout the second half of this movie, but... That ended up being my pick just because I was looking for way over the top splatter. And when he took Terry down piece by piece, I found it. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, how about a favorite scene, Don? Yeah, this one's a little bit more difficult just because there's just there's so much good stuff. Um, I mean, as, as hard as it is, I would probably say I think the one that sets the film up more than anything is uh the heart-to-heart conversation he has with Medina after the video, just this the shot of them together, it's kind of like become one of the most iconic images, just like stills uh, in general for a good reason. But the fact that it sets everything up and it like puts so much sympathy on him and it makes it, you know us relate to him in a way that we d- didn't really have much of a w- chance to before it's just hard to top that and you know it's hysterical it's funny you know there's some little jokes here and there but it it adds a depth of heart it adds a heart to the film that it didn't necessarily would you would expect it to be there but yeah there's just so much to like here there's there's so many good scenes awesome choice and i will say not my favorite scene but definitely my favorite shot is of them sitting there on the park bench eating their ice cream while he Brody's in corpse paint. And it's easy to see why that has become the iconic shot that it has. So how about you, Danny favorite scene? Well, in contrast to my favorite kill favorite scene was actually really easy for me. But as soon as the scene ended, I was like, that's my favorite. Nothing in this film is going to top that. And nothing did top that. So I was right. But my favorite scene is definitely Brody and Zach's battle with the dildo and anal beads against <laughs> the aunt and uncle demons. <laughs> That's mine as well. I'd love to hear you expand yeah, was, on it. Awesome. Yeah, it's on my list. It's not my favorite, but yeah, it's on my list as well. <laughs> the absurdity, the inventiveness, the, the, the execution, you know, like so many little in jokes here and there. Maybe not all of them land as much as they think they, sh- they, they do, but uh, enough enough do land that it's it's just a circle right yeah this scene more than anything definitely combines the humor and the horror you know it just starts off funny like don was saying about that 
the beginning of this scene where Zach finish off, finishes off his beer before helping Brody. <laughs> and then all the bits with them finding the, the box of church stuff. And, you know, you get so many great moments with the dildo. Zach, like, brutally shoving the dildo in the uncle's face and, like, tearing off his jaw. <laughs> and then, for good measure, throw in a fucking chainsaw. <laughs> you get chainsaw action. And you get great tension with Brody almost getting his face torn up by this chainsaw. And yeah, so from top to bottom, this scene is just balls to the walls action. Humorous moments. I mean, it's just perfect. Uh, you can't really uh, say too much more than that. Yeah, I have to go back again to the fact that this film is called Deathgasm. And it took my second watch to truly understand and appreciate just how literally they interpret that title on the screen. And I don't think any scene embodies this better than the scene we're talking about right now. And I will say that I couldn't help but think that them fighting the demons with dildos and anal beads was a bit too immature, even for lowbrow dark comedy horror like this. It felt like low-hanging fruit to me at first, but at the same time, like we mentioned, is there anything funnier than a metal bro taking a moment in the middle of a demon invasion to smack his buddy in the mouth with a dildo? <laughs> but I I agree with you. Like when I saw them pull the the dildo and beads out, I was like, "Oh, come on. Like are you serious?" But it came back around, you know, to being so absurd and they really go the full extent. So by the end of it, I was a fan. Yeah, it won me over too. And what really makes this scene great to me, though, is they really get creative with their shots and camera angles and placements here. My favorite being when Brody is mounted by his aunt and we see a shot of Brody struggling beneath her from within her mouth as her sharp demon teeth gnash <laughs> as yeah. she bites at him. That is a that's probably that my favorite shot in the movie. Yeah, that was a really unique shot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like it's like I said there's a there's more to it than you would expect. I mean, you know, it's more competently done than you would expect a film like this to be made. And I, yeah, the, the the whole scene is there's just so much going on. Yeah, it, it, it's on my list for as well, but I mean, I I just think that it, 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 there's just so much to like that it's just hard to you know pick one but i think just because everything about it just exemplifies what's going on in the film more with uh the the meetup scene between the two of them i i, I like that one more but i mean the the dildo fight is just so much fun <laughs> and plus if i'm being completely honest i definitely came to this movie looking to see some gore and while I doubt this is the goriest movie any of us have seen, it does have its moments, and it delivered in the end. I got the splatter I wanted. And so thank you, Deathgasm, and thank you, Don, for bringing it to our attention and coming on the show and having this wonderful experience with us. Yeah, thank you, Don. Thank you for everything you do, promoting... Not only us, but everyone in the horror community. You really do some great work there, and we really do appreciate it, and we're so happy to have you on the show. Oh, like I said, thanks for uh, having me on. This was so much fun, and yeah, it, I always like uh, exposing this film to others just because, like I said, it's not a dying breed, but it's just rare that we just get like you know a full like a full on over the top splatter gore fest that's 
got enough going on to where you can like dissect it and pick it apart and actually you know do like a conversation on it but then it's also just you know at the basic level it's just a lot of fun so yeah i always like uh, exposing people to this one just because i mean for me i it kind of went under my radar and i think a lot of people kind of had the same thing where this one kind of went under the radar but yeah it, this was a lot of fun and i'm uh happy to be here and uh like i say i'll like i always say you know happy to help out so it's always not a problem awesome well that was deathgasm and just a reminder that this is a two for weekend so at the end of the weekend you can catch me on don's show the horror countdown podcast we'll have all the information all the links posted on our twitter at fraternity as well as in the episode description here where you're listening to us now so until next time have a great one later good night everybody <laughs> <laughs>